0: Greetings, Starfighters. Dan here. Just wanted to say thanks for listening, giving this little podcast of ours a a chance, giving it a shot. Um, Speaking of shot, you might notice that my audio in the Mad Max episode sounds a little, I don't know, shot. That's because I made a mistake and accidentally, when John and I recorded, recorded using the built-in microphone on my MacBook Air, which is not the most up-to-date technology. So um, as Alanis Morissette says, you live, you learn. And in the future, I will be more cautious. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. Good journey. David Pyrie of Time Out says the tone in
1: the first film of this series sometimes wavers into self-parody and there are occasional crude patches. But overall, this edge-of-the-seat revenge movie marks the most exciting debut from an Australian director since Peter Weir. Vincent Canby of the New York Times calls its sequel an extravagant film fantasy that looks like a sadomasochistic comic book come to life. Michael Wilmington of the Los Angeles Times says the third film in this franchise closes the trilogy like a lightning blast followed by the ominous resonant Drone of Thunder, not knowing that the adventure continues with the fourth film that film critic Christy Lemire poetically claims will melt your face off. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we discuss the legacy of Mad Max.
0: Re re Which one will it be? the ruined entire podcast. Greetings starfighters. Welcome to a post-apocalyptic edition of Rune Childhood.
1: That isn't to say that our trip was a total disaster, but I, uh, <laughs> you, you know, not of. Tra- anytime you're traveling with a two-year-old and a five and a half-year-old, things can get a little dicey. <laughs> but we all survived. the The world didn't explode. There wasn't a giant catastrophe. There was no nuclear bomb. Uh
0: So. Though we would potentially have been the first to know about it because of where, yeah, we were. Hawaii's the, uh, national
1: emergency uh, system, I guess uh,
0: the giant, the giant radar, yeah, there, that as we were told is specifically for North Korea,
1: right? Yes, our father dropped some knowledge on us uh, numerous a, times, A couple of times. Yeah, we also couple learned times, about yeah. something having to do with the Pro Bowl.
0: Oh, yeah. They play that yeah. there, or used to play it there. Yeah, Not so sure. our last episode,
1: if anybody hasn't heard it, uh, was recorded uh, for the first and so far only time uh, where where Dan and I were in the same room together recording an episode, uh, yeah. along with my my wonderful spouse, Laura, uh, where we discussed Soap Dish and her inability to remember any... Actors' uh, names.
0: But her gift of creating new names out of the actors' names that she kind of remembers.
1: I'm glad that you witnessed it in action.
0: It was amazing. It's amazing. Um, so I literally watched the pieces of the puzzle squeeze together. <laughs> and uh, It's like when you get those two puzzle pieces and you're like, God damn it, I know this is not the right fit, but i it's so close. Yeah.
1: It's. It was amazing. It, it was absolutely incredible. I hope it that it translates as well be um, over podcast audio than that you know as it did in person. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a wonderful experience. I really enjoyed that. I'm looking forward to doing more episodes where we are actually together whenever we can make that happen, and also with guests because that's a fun addition. I mean, we've done it once before with Scott, our brother. Um, yeah. Yeah, but
0: yeah, um... and well, and uh, I, I think that if if we ever, you know, dare to dream, pine the sky. If we ever do a live show, mm-hmm. we must have Laura because, regardless of whether or not it translates to audio, watching the process of of how she gets these, how she pulls together the names, is just so impressive and what she comes up with is so wrong yet so right.
1: <laughs> yeah right
0: <laughs> totally okay so anyway Yeah well uh um what's up do we have and then we have a guest. Well,
1: guest at the end of this episode at the end of this episode stick around stick around whatever keep on listening uh don't for, turn that dial we have a um an interview that I did a maybe month or so back with a documentary filmmaker whose work is very closely tied with this episode's theme. So, um, we'll, we'll get to that uh, soon. And we'll probably mention some things that will, uh, come up during that interview, but, um, yeah, First I just there's really one bit of news in the reboot sequel prequel whatever world uh but it's a big one and that's that Matrix 4 is mm-hmm. uh going to be happening
0: with, with Keanu Reeves and Carrie-Anne Moss.
1: Yes. So uh it's funny because my first thought is something that I later read in someone else's tweet so it's like Okay, we're all on board with the fact that this is already the second best Matrix movie and it hasn't even been, you know, <laughs> close to being made yet. Uh, yeah. But we all know that, like, man, it's in such a good position to be incredible.
0: Well, and it's kind of like how I was thinking yesterday, because yesterday, August 21st, our mom's birthday, uh-huh. by the way, and our parents' anniversary. Um, And also one year to the day that Bill and Ted face the music will hit theaters. And I thought to myself, I was like, I think if they put tickets on sale for it today, it would already outgross Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. All due respect to those movies. You're probably right. I think it's so awaited. And Keanu Reeves, kind of his, I think the path of his career and I mean, really, it seems what he, and I mean, I don't know. I haven't read too many interviews with him, but it seems like he's kind of, you know, he took some time away. And, and I mean, John Wick really.
1: Well, we're in the midst of the Keanu Sans.
0: The Keanu Sans, yes. The Reeves' Nesance. No, the Keanu I like Keanu Sans better. better.
1: Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, he certainly was a successful actor you know in the in the 90s and but he didn't really have the status that he had now and I think a lot of that is because of social media I think it's because of the the world of fandom that has kind of circulated uh,
0: I think also because and not and to kind of pile into the social media thing but I've read so many stories and heard of so many little incidents of Keanu Reeves, just not, not just being a decent person, but kind of like using his, the status that he has, the, the celebrity that he has to facilitate being a nice person. Like, like I read a story where he w- um, was driving past um, uh, this house and there was a sign outside and it said, you're breathtaking. And he stopped went over. No one, I don't think anyone was home at that point, but he signed the sign and then went back later to take pictures with the family. And yeah, you know, he's not, you know, it's not, you know, we're not going to call him, start calling him St. Keanu, but you know, just the fact that he is like, just you uses the fact that he really doesn't personally have much to worry about in life himself. Like he's doing all right. And he knows that he can – he doesn't have to do much to really make somebody else's day a whole lot better.
1: Well, we all uh, – this has been something that's kind of trickled out a little bit. But uh, Under the Radar, secretly, has been financing a children's hospital.
0: So, okay. All yeah, right. So Maybe we should Saint start Keanu. calling him St. Keanu. Okay. <laughs> Saint, uh, uh, I mean – you know, I don't think I have any say in in the matter, but I'm I'm all for it.
1: And I think so. We've mentioned this on the podcast before, but we are incredibly huge fans of the movie Parenthood, where he is absolutely incredible. Uh, he is just one of many amazing actors in this perfect ensemble cast, and uh, in this movie, he plays a you know he does like drag racing like kind of on a semi-professional local level and uh, you know that ties in really well with what we're going to be talking about today which is a a series of movies that have found themselves oh I just activated Siri somehow that's funny uh I wonder I wonder what it's gonna say hold on Stand by. Nope, it's just thinking. I was, I was wondering if it was going to say something yeah. interesting. Anyway, I, um, so. Yeah, you know, something it, no? Well, yeah, it's All these right. movies that uh, from the second film on have kind of centered themselves around these wild, uh, crazy driving sequences. Well, the first one did have, and I haven't, se- oh. I haven't watched the first one in a while, so. Oh,
0: but it does center around the a-
1: motorcycle gang.
0: I had a question for you because you mm-hmm. mentioned a crazy series of movies and I wanted to know if you had seen the trailer, the newest trailer for Rambo, um, Last Blood, Final Blood, Last Blood. Um.
1: You know, Dan, I, I am not as much of a mega fan of the Rambo series as you are. You love talking so and that bringing up the Rambo sequels.
0: It's just because it it just fascinates me. And <laughs> is, like, is there a, a
1: is there a Mad Maxi car chase sequence in that?
0: uh yes. In the way that there's explosions and cars and one guy who's like just that shit crazy, going okay. off the rails and just killing only, a bunch of people. Oh,
1: only one. Let me tell you about only, a movie called yeah. Mad
0: Max. Yeah. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's. Yes, let's t- Thank you. Just wanted to let everyone know there's a new trailer for the Rambo movie. And <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. It's it's like they're never going to stop.
1: <laughs> no. Well, and by they, you mean Sylvester Stallone will never and stop. And his
0: characters. And his characters.
1: And his two main go-to characters will never stop.
0: I mean, I don't, I don't think we'll see stop or my mom will shoot again.
1: Well... R.I.P. Estelle Getty. This is all I got to say about that. Um, so uh, maybe it'll be like Stopper. My daughter will shoot. Stopper. Or my granddaughter. granddaughter. Really. Granddaughter will shoot. Ooh. Well, okay. That's actually <laughs> Put pretty much the that. plot of
0: the new. That's actually the plot of the new Rocky. It's his niece. It's Stopper. My niece will shoot because oh his niece God. gets kidnapped by a cartel because they're <laughs> like, oh hey, you know who lives in that house over there? Rambo. No kidding. Oh well, we should mess with him, right? Yeah. yeah, of course we should. Let's kidnap his niece. All right, on to Mad Max.
1: <laughs> okay, so we're going to just say right off the bat, clearly this is not a, a, a movie or a series of movies that really needs to be debated in terms of uh, furthering it with sequels and reboots or remakes because uh, – we are in that territory. If we did this in 2013 or something, then uh-huh. it would be a different story because Fury Road wasn't a thing at that point. It was a series that had ended in '85. There were graphic novels, maybe.
0: Well, there is the Fury Road graphic novels, but I do remember over the years there was there was always rumor and innuendo that there would be another Mad Max. And for a while, it was still, like, I'm talking for a good while, mm-hmm. was still going to be Mel Gibson. And yes. I don't think the Tom Hardy talk started until maybe around, you know, um, 2030, maybe like after Inception, so 2010. Yeah.
1: so uh, I know that also there were talks of doing a a continuation of the series around 2001 but that got pushed back because of September 11th happening and uh then there were talks around 2000 I guess it probably would have been around that time maybe a little later 2003 or so that like Heath Ledger was possibly going to be you know coming back as the new oh, yeah. Mad Max um and he's he was Australian, right?
0: He was Australian, so yeah. So that would kind is- of yeah.
1: Fit And I thought that when I read that, I was like, oh, he would be he would have been great as uh, as Mad Max. I mean,
0: well, he also he played Mel Gibson's son in The Patriot.
1: That's true. I didn't even yeah.
0: think about that.
1: Um No, yeah, that's that was funny.
0: kind of his that and 10 things I hate about you. You know, well, those were his uh, breakouts. And, well, also,
1: um in when it was first being discussed for a, a new part of the series with Mel Gibson, Allegedly, that was squashed because of Mel Gibson's tirades. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so um, that got shelved uh, because of all that stuff that was right going on with Mel Gibson.
0: Or was that two thousand five? Was that was that, well, was that before? Was that because Passion of the Christ was two thousand four? So that was really kind of the
1: right around ooh, that time. Mel Gibson
0: might be might be an anti Semite. That was around that time. Yeah. So I. I, I think maybe the other, you're, we're talking about like when he gets arrested. He I'm talking cop, sugar, sugar tits. tits. Yeah. Sugar tits. Yes. Sugar tits and Jews control Hollywood. Yep. Um. Uh, you know, that might've been around 07, 08. Okay. No, no, it had to be before that.
1: I I think I'm so. I think it up. was before then. Anyway. um, So there, yeah, there were a lot of talks about, bringing it back in some, some way or another for a while, but it really was a 30-year gap between... Okay, let's uh, do a brief history of the Mad Max films. Was it 79 that... Uh, yeah, 1979, Mad Max is made, shoestring budget. Um, mm-hmm. Mel, Mel Gibson is... You know, I think he was still in drama school at the time. He was unknown, especially in the U.S. I think maybe he'd done like one other thing.
0: Had he, period. Had Gallipoli had not yet come, had it?
1: I don't believe so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it was just this very under the radar uh, movie that kind of did okay. Um, good enough for them to make uh, Mad Max 2 which in the United States was called The Road Warrior. Now it's kind of known as Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Uh, I think that at the time, no one really, not enough people knew about Mad Max for them to call it Mad Max 2 and have it be a success. But what's interesting is that it, I feel like, kind, kind of stands on its own. I, I guess maybe all these movies can really stand on their own. Uh, you don't necessarily sure. need to see the movies before them to appreciate them and understand what's going on because between Mad Max one and Mad Max two they're they feel very different. Mad Max one. Um, I believe that it is supposed to be post-apocalyptic, but it doesn't really have that feeling to it. Like he is a police officer. He has police officer buddies. He goes to a police station. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that there's a, you know, a few references to there being some sort of nuclear incident, but nothing.
0: We're, we're not made. yet in the wasteland.
1: No, that's when, uh, that's where we are starting in Mad Max 2, where uh, he is this road warrior. He is this guy who's just Ooh. out there looking for gasoline, meets this dude who built a helicopter who tells him where you can find gasoline, <laughs> sees this village that's being <laughs> uh, terrorized by this gang. And he basically goes in saying like, you give me gasoline, I'll take
0: care of this for you. And so they give us the 1000 pesos. Oh, so it's not three amigos, not three
1: amigos. No, it's, I, yeah, I mean, gang terrorizes small town. It's a,
0: it's a pretty, uh, yeah, yeah, standard.
1: And then you have, um, Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, Which is probably well. I think that when most people think of Mad Max, they think about the Road Warrior because it's a lot of like the crazy cars, and it's uh, you know that's the one where you have like Lord Humongous. uh, You got the
0: Mohawks, the muscles, like the big spiky. So yeah, the Road War the Road Warrior is the so here's the first of two uh, because this is what I'm here for, uh, (laughs) famed tag team wrestling tag team hall of famers the road warriors okay their look was inspired by this by this movie i don't know um I'll, i have to look into like who whether it was them whether it was dusty Rhodes. um who definitely saw thunderdome because yeah. he based war games on thunderdome <laughs> the war games matches where you have two rings enclosed in a cage and
1: oh wow a thunderdome
0: It's like elimination. Yeah. So, um, but that was inspired by Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome and the characters of the Road Warriors who would enter um, at a certain one point in their career, they were entering on motorcycles and they had like the big spiky shoulder pads, the like crazy makeup, that real post-apocalyptic look, that post-apocalyptic chic as is defined by um, the Mad Max series, but especially the Road Warrior.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because I feel like These days, people have an idea in their head of what something looks like when it's post-apocalyptic. And uh, I think that that's come up a lot more in movies since 79 or, you know, early 80s. And it was really defined by these Mad Max movies, uh, which is so wild. I mean, it's just the Australian outback, you know, just like... (laughs) Middle of nowhere.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I watch these movies and I just, I'm like, okay. So basically they're like, all right, we've got Australia. We're we going to make a movie in Australia. It's my Australian accent. Very nice. And um, so they're, you know, what kind of movie are you going to make? They look around and they're like, all right, post-apocalyptic wasteland where... Everybody, because of the nuclear fallout, of course, is freakishly attractive and fit or just kind of weird, weird looking mm-hmm. like the, uh, uh, Bruce Pence, the, the pilot who builds the. Uh, yeah, that, like, that was like he, he had like the look of like an Australian pop star, though.
1: It was like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, a lot of this feels very like steampunk.
0: Yeah, which I'm not 100% what that is. I feel like it's a lot of leather and goggles. Yeah, but, which, I mean, oh, that's, look it, at these that's movies. What, I guess yeah. if you're a punk and, yeah. But so this the post-apocalyptic chic, and um, I, I it's so funny, though, because we talk about Heath Ledger, and I'm, I was just thinking, I was like, damn, like Australia basically has become this factory of like attractive, talented People for Hollywood. It's like here you go. Here's a here's a Russell Crowe. Here I got some Hemsworths for you. Yeah. Here's a here's a Heath Ledger. Here's a um, Naomi Watts. And Nicole Kidman. Right. Like and and they're so like versatile. It's like Australians will be cast to play Americans in Australian movies. <laughs> it's like no. I mean, you really. I mean. You think about it, and it's like, first, it's like, I mean, they're all just pretty. I mean, from Naomi Watts to Heath Ledger. Um, but then you also think about just, like, the talent. Uh, and right. Hemsworths are not to be underrated. I Chris Hemsworth, for me, has been a highlight of every Avengers movie he has been in.
1: Oh, he's great. I, he's I look
0: forward also, to seeing him play Hulk Hogan.
1: Oh, he's playing Hulk Hogan?
0: Yeah, he's playing the Hulkster. Uh,
1: he was really wonderful in Men in Black International, a movie that wasn't amazing, but his performance was great. Tessa Thompson was great. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani was great. Um, mm-hmm. And then he was also, I think a lot of, I think he was really fun in the Paul Feig Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. I I know yeah. that... Well, I feel like we've, off-mic, talked about the Ghostbusters uh, movies, um, especially that one, uh, quite a bit. But I think that his performance is just fun.
0: No, I'm sure it is. He is charismatic and, and he's fun. But, and, by the way, so then let's talk, why don't we, about Mel Gibson? Because he is the, the really the um, the franchise star mm-hmm. of... The original, right. he is, He's the franchise the star, but
1: it works without him, too, as we've learned.
0: Well, and and we'll get to that. But first, I, I want to talk briefly just about kind of what he brings to the role mm-hmm. and we'll kind of ignore. Oh, by the way, that was 2006. Sugar Tits, 2006.
1: Oh, gotcha. Okay.
0: Yeah. And I mean, among others, among other wonderful rants, and I want in, in the episode description, I want it noted that the explicit is pretty much just because... Of Mel Gibson quotes so yeah
1: is is that when he wait what was the one where he said that he was going to bury somebody in a rose garden or something
0: um I think that was in a
1: voicemail or something I I don't know I feel like it was a recording that people dug up
0: oh yes 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 I think it was the oh yeah his um girlfriend Oksana I think it was yeah in the voicemails like the Mel Gibson (laughs) voicemails this is like, man, this is history for me. I'm, man, I remember listening to that. To oh, those. yeah.
1: So um, uh, so anyway, you were talking about and, Mel Gibson and what he lent to the Mad Max franchise.
0: Yeah, and he does, and as he does also in Lead the Weapon, mm-hmm. does a wonderful job of playing this man who's haunted mm-hmm. by his past, who has known love and known what it is like to lose that love.
1: Sure. In Mad Max, his wife and daughter are killed by this motorcycle gang, um, and that he seeks vengeance upon.
0: And um, you know, in Lethal Weapon, it's uh, she, she's hit by a car, right? I think he's late to meet her. I don't know. Anyway, it, it, he does. Mel Gibson does that really well. Um, I think by the, by the time we get to Mad Max Two, Road Warrior, whatever you call it, it's he kind of reaches this like stoic point mm-hmm. and then, and then by Thunderdome, he's just, he's kind of like the he's the reluctant hero. He's, he's Han Solo saying like, Oh, okay, fine. I'll save the day. He's yeah, a combination and, of that and Indiana Jones.
1: Well, beyond Thunderdome is really return of the Jedi, but it basically all takes place on Endor. You have, well, it's also like, um, it reminded me a lot of hook. Or like yeah, any kind yes. of like Peter Pan movie that's just like the Neverland, um, you know, the Lost the Boys. Lost Boys. Well, and hey, speaking of the Lost Boys, featuring Tim Capello on saxophone all greased up in the uh, the beach party scene, who also oh, plays yeah. saxophone on We Don't Need Another Hero, which if you watch wow. the um, George Miller directed uh, We Don't Need Another Hero Beyond Thunderdome tina turner music video you'll see uh tim capello who's uh kind of parodied on snl by john ham with like the sexy saxophone player and um mm. yeah so tim capello you should look him up do you know who i'm talking about dan
0: well, now I do. Yeah, when you say Lost Boys Beach Saxophone Player, yeah, yeah I know exactly who you're talking so about. So he
1: is yeah. essentially the same uh, uh, in the "We Don't Need Another Hero" music video.
0: So, which is crazy. I I thought of this other crazy connection, and it's just one of those. I think it's totally coincidence, random thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna I'm gonna connect some dots for you here. Um so in in Beyond Thunderdome Tina Turner plays Auntie Entity who mm-hmm. really just goes by Auntie mm-hmm. throughout throughout the movie and you know she's badass. Now in the 1993 biopic What's Love Got to Do with It uh-huh. Tina Turner was played by Angela Bassett. And one of the most famous lines in a scene with Angela Bassett from the movie Black Panther is when she's greeted by Kilmonter who says,
1: Did she say we don't hey, need another auntie. hero? Oh, she says, hey, auntie. <laughs> he says, hey, auntie,
0: to Angela right, Bassett. I remember that. That's funny. Who's, who? I mean, she does, she's not dressed up like Patina Turner in. Do Thunder you think Goodbye. that
1: like, that is a slight weird reference or really just, I mean, because she is his auntie.
0: I think it's really just in the story. I don't think anyone. This is just was you like, reading oh. into
1: it too much.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think anyone on the set was reading that and was like, "Oh, yeah," because Angela Bassett plays this character, and she also played Tina Turner, and Tina Turner played Auntie and Beyond Thunderdome.
1: No, that's just you that which makes they, those connections. Which
0: they, although Black Panther and Killmonger do have kind of like a Thunderdome fight.
1: Two shall enter, one shall leave. Hmm. hmm. So interesting. Uh, and, and sorry, I, I started giving like brief synopses of these movies, like very, very super brief. So I didn't get to be on Thunderdome. Beyond Thunderdome, Thunderdome. Uh, he is this, you know, just roving guy uh, whose car gets uh, messed up by this guy who's, I don't know, the snake person. It's this, the, this weird it's guy it's the who built who- an elevator
0: elevator He's the guy helicopter. from the, the helicopter. Yeah, he's the guy with the helicopter. He, well, I guess it technically does elevate you so.
1: Uh, my brain is just fried. Um so they basically go check out this um Oh, wait. Sorry. The guy from the guy with the helicopter. The he, helicopter he's flying next a too. plane not knowing who he is, but flies a plane over Mel Gibson and messes up his, like, like camel-driven mobile. It's really bizarre. Yeah. And uh, ends up knocking him out, stealing off his stuff, and uh, Max goes to this barter town to try to find his stuff and the guy who stole it, uh, and then ends up being, like, drafted by Auntie to fight in the Thunderdome against uh, Master Blaster,
0: who is... But she uh, wants to pick a fight. Yeah,
1: yeah. pick a fight and, and fight in the Thunderdome with Master Blaster, who is a two-person, uh, one very large, one very small unit, uh, Master being the brains, the small guy who rides on the shoulders of Blaster, this big, dumb, beefy idiot.
0: For, for you literature lovers out there, it is like the most extreme interpretation of Lenny and George. Oh Master yeah. being George, Lenny being Blaster.
1: Oh my God, you love Of Mice and Men so much.
0: Um, I do love... I, look, I, when it's staring me in the face like that, when I'm like, oh, that's the character type. Yeah,
1: so uh, what ends yeah, up happening is he... Uh, Max ends up fighting blaster, but refuses to kill him, uh, is then he's then killed by, uh, auntie's kind of henchman and Max ends up, uh, getting exiled because he refuses to kill him. So he gets kind of exiled on a horse tied with his hands behind his back and is then found pretty much 95% dead, uh, in the desert, by this um by the dinks, the dink, Dinks? Dink, dink, you yeah. dink, dink. it's reminded me so much of
0: spaceballs. It reminded me so much of oh, spaceballs. yeah, because she just pulls them Wait,
1: across the desert. She calls I mean, the desert
0: spaceballs, maybe spaceballs was parodying beyond Thunderdome, yeah, right? So <laughs> if they, it was I did so not these are get essentially
1: the the lost boys who have found uh, old, almost dead Peter Pan. Uh, bring and they are explaining to him that there was this prophecy that there was that there was this pilot who would come to them and they think that it's him because the kind of cave drawing looks like him and Captain Walker Captain Walker
0: right but Captain Walker didn't come home to quote the who oh my god
1: (laughs) the who with uh, Tina Turner the acid queen
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, we, this kind of these lost boys for lack of a better term, uh, are out to be saved and Max kind of is like, "Ah, all right, I know how to save the day because, Oh, what we didn't mention is that Master Blaster uh the auntie wanted Master Blaster dead because Master Blaster was claiming control over all of Bartertown because he created all of the electricity using methane from pig shit. So mm-hmm. he had this gigantic underground like sea of pigs that are just there to create shit. Pigs. Yeah.
0: And, and perhaps that was the moment that George Miller thought about the movie Babe. Mm. And was like, you know, I'd like to work with the pigs, maybe not so much the shit.
1: Yeah, uh, George Miller. Or maybe we, just one pig. This is an appropriate time to mention that George Miller went on to direct Babe, Babe 2, Pig in the City, and Lorenzo's motherfucking oil. Motherfucking oil. I can't yeah. believe that we didn't think about that the, when we were talking about Lorenzo's oil the last time and knowing that we we're going to doing John, sometimes
0: the... the the dots just connect themselves for us. But yes, George Miller directed and The Witches of Eastwick, by the way, another George Miller mm-hmm. classic, Happy Feet, and um, yeah, and then the man just like he, I, starts his career, starts out with the with the Mad Max, yeah, and then like man comes back with Fury Road.
1: Well, he starts his career out as an emergency room doctor.
0: Well <laughs> yes. Who, uh, well I meant his his directing career. Well, but it's what inspired
1: him to make Mad Max because he encountered so many motorcycle and car accidents. So mm. anyway, there's there's that old thing which uh comes up a little bit uh when in, in my interview with uh with our our guest later on, Faye Merman. Yeah so
0: um proper respect though to George Miller uh quite a career. Yeah, and it, I I
1: swear this if we really wanted to this podcast could really be called 6 degrees of Lorenzo's oil and we could just talk about how each movie is connected to Lorenzo's oil in in 6 steps or less which this has one step, George Miller. So, uh Beyond Thunderdome, uh essentially yeah. he brings the these kids back to Bartertown and they end up kind of killing everybody who could be a problem and saving the day. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just, and then he just disappears. Um, he just rides
0: off into the sunset.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah. So yeah. In, uh, Mad Max Fury road, which takes place 40 years after the nuclear incident. Um, that is when, uh, oh man, this is just so wild. So Max, it, it's the same character, but played by Tom Hardy. It's never like, everyone just accepts it. It's totally okay. And when I say that, I don't mean in the movies. It's just like, somehow our culture has just approved this like replacement of the character of, of Max by Tom Hardy. And I feel like he was awesome in it. And, uh, yeah. you know, probably has the same number of lines of dialogue <laughs> between each of the movies, you know, does not say very many words. What's up?
0: Right. But more I, what I thought what I thought Tom Hardy really brought to the role and that really, I think, engaged me into Fury Road more so than uh, and really any of the other Mel Gibson performances was he brings this vulnerability, this humanity, this, the, like, he's not so stoic. He's more just, like, constantly co- trying to get a grip onto things, but he just yeah. can't.
1: Well, what he's, in the narration, it's it states that he, his goal is just to survive. And yeah. that rings true in all of these, where it's like, he kind of is this hero who's doing it just really so he can survive. He, you know, he's helping people out, but, and it's not that he's, you know, upset that or feeling burdened that he's doing it for all these other people, but it's like, ultimately it's going to be really benefiting him in the long run. Mm. And he sees that. So uh, in Mad Max Fury Road, he is kidnapped by these ravagers. I don't even know what you would, call them, but he's, uh, taken to be a blood bag because he is a universal don't. Well, they find he's a universal donor, so he can be a blood bag for transfusions for the, the workers, the henchmen for a Morton Joe, this guy, this like crazy, like monster man who controls this entire city, the Citadel, uh, because he can, he has tapped into a water source and can provide water to these people, but it's all on his terms when he wants to do it and everybody kind of worships him as being mm-hmm. the the giver of this thing that he's basically saying like, don't become addicted to this water. Like, you know, as we all know, you need water to survive and he's the only person that can give it to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He says, don't become addicted. You're going to like go crazy for it. Yeah. And exactly what was happening.
1: Yeah. So uh, he has this collection of wives who he is trying to impregnate in his little Jeffrey Epstein uh, layer of uh, (laughs) spreading his seed across the land. And uh, Uh, yeah. And Furiosa, who is um, drives a war rig that goes to uh the center to get gasoline um she has this has hatched this plan to bring them to kind of the promised land where she was born and grew up that was the green place and green she place, yeah. she has it from her memory and she's worked out these deals uh along the path to to gain access to get there and uh her goal is to drive the war rig with these women stowed away uh, to get them into a safe place, and that's where everything kind of starts to happen. Uh, one of Immortan Joe's hench people sees that this is happening; uh, that that the war rig has kind of gone off path, and uh, mm-hmm. it's then a chase to get her. And he sees that she's taken the wives. So it's to get them back and to punish her.
0: I think it's his son who is it a son spots him. Mean, it's his little like the little like kind of, I don't know, de- deformed kind of son who looks out the telescope. Yeah. It, and then he's got the big I think it's like Nathan Jones plays him um, like the big son who's right. kind of They kind of almost do a master blaster thing. Yeah, really.
1: yeah, gigantic dumb thug and you know, wise uh little person. Yeah. 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 So, so, um yeah, those are his sons and um who knows how many other children he has. And uh yeah, so it's really just a, a chase to get them back and one of the uh the people going to get him is played by Nicholas Holt, who's awesome in this. He's so good. Yeah. And uh, he is the one who has Max as a blood bag and he has he's taken his blood bag with him strapped to the front of the car uh, so that he can go and drive. And, you know, his mentality is if I can die serving a Morton Joe, then I will be sent off to Valhalla and, you know, a blaze of glory, and, and you know, and it's he gets yeah. excited when a Morton Joe looks at him. He's like, he looked at me, he looked in my eyes, and everyone's just like, no, he was just looking at the direction that he was going. You know, at your it's blood like,
0: bag is he was looking at your blood. Bag. He's looking at
1: your blood bag. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, it's really fascinating. He has a great turn because once he realizes that a Morton Joe does not mm-hmm. care about him, and. He will not be going to Valhalla, you know, as as he has been planning to do. He really turns against Immortal Joe and helps out um, the women and and Max. It's really an incredible turn.
0: Well, he realizes, and I think this is part of the reason why this movie was nominated for so many Oscars. It won six. Well, yeah. Yeah. Won six Oscars, but I mean, I I think it was really considered an early frontrunner for for best picture. Like this could have won best picture.
1: Right. And, and when you look it, at, uh, the 2016 Academy Awards to see what other movies were, I mean, the Revenant is what beat it out for best picture. Um, uh, amongst other, some other awards, but there were some pretty amazing movies that were awesome there. Tom Hardy was actually nominated for best supporting actor for the Revenant.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it Tom was Hardy, a, I, it was a huge year
1: for 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 movies, I feel.
0: Well, we're on Tom Hardy, and I, I mean, this is brief tangent, um, but I don't know if we've discussed it. I, have you seen Venom?
1: I have seen Venom. What did you think? It was fine.
0: I was pleasantly surprised. I, he As, was, I He wanted- was
1: really good. He was really good. Michelle Williams is always good, but her wig was really whack. I did not love that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I saw that, and then while we're on the DC tangent, Shazam.
1: I watched it I recommend. So I watched that. Did you watch it on the plane? I watched it on the plane going to and from Hawaii on our trip because I was traveling with a two-year-old. I watched that yeah. movie over the course of 10 hours, having to pause periodically, um, which was yes. a lot of
0: fun. And it's it's the kind of movie that you can... Do that with, but yes. yeah, I enjoyed Shazam quite a bit. Anyway, back from the DC tangent. So Fury Road. I think one of the most impressive things about Fury Road, it, um, other than the fact that it it doesn't let up like for thirty minutes, like it starts and then is just like full speed for thirty minutes when there's a brief pause and you're like, oh, I can breathe again, but. Aside and, from the,
1: like, And during those uh, During those Beats between all the action Are some like Really incredible Moments some uh, very emotional Moments that are uh, Just you can't You can't take your eyes off the screen the entire Time this is not a Fiddle around to, on your phone movie this is the most I'd say this is probably the most beautiful movie I've ever seen it is Absolutely stunning
0: Wow well, I mean... I mean, the, I, I agree.
1: Yeah, I, the cinematography yeah. and the fact that this... Because I think this one lost to The Revenant for cinematography.
0: It must have won editing, right? It won editing. Like sound?
1: It won sound I'm editing. Guessing. Let me pull up the whole list because it's...
0: Yeah.
1: I agree with <laughs> with every one of these wins. I feel like it should have won everything it was nominated for. Um, it was probably... I mean, what I really... Mm, Good.
0: When I think about it, yeah. When, I mean, just when I think about it, it kind of, it's the one movie, it's one of the few movies that I feel like I'm like, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind watching that again. I wouldn't mind coming back to it. And I do remember, by the way, where I saw Fury Road. Let's for the hear first it. time. It is the, it's the only Mad Max movie I've seen in the theater. That back. makes sense, yeah. Um, and I can tell you, I, I saw the first, I, I remember seeing uh, Road Warrior and Mad Max, around the time that I was working, I worked for a printing company in New York City, mm-hmm. AEC Repro, and uh, I remember that some of the guys I worked with were like liked it and were talking about it, and you know we like to talk movies a lot, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen it, so I'm pretty sure that uh, Mark Newcomb, one of my uh, coworkers at the time, lent me his copy of it. I want to say at least the road warrior if not road warrior mad max either that or i i may have actually like netflix them like gotten the discs because it was that long ago um but i remember seeing those around that time so like you know 2006
2: 2007
0: 2008 and fury road mm-hmm. saw it at the saw it living i was when i was living in park slope Brooklyn, and I want to make sure I get the movie theater title right, but um, is a historic theater off of Prospect Park, and um, I just want to make sure I get the name right. Um, I want to say it was the the Park Cinemas, um, and I don't know if it's, or the Park Slope Pavilion. Park Slope okay. Pavilion. And, um, yeah, I remember we saw, saw a few movies while we were living over there, but really kind of like, um, you know, definitely old school. I don't know if they've done anything since, uh, since we lived there in 2015, but I remember seeing, seeing Mad Max there after it had been in theaters for some time. So I didn't see it in 3d. D. I
1: might've seen it in 3d. I can't remember.
0: Did you see it like relatively soon after it came out?
1: Oh, probably opening weekend.
0: Yeah. So then you probably saw it. In yeah. Three D. So, but I was—I definitely wanted to see it in. Yeah, it was the um, Park Slope Pavilion. That was where I saw Mad Max: um, Fury Road. But I definitely knew it was something that I had to see in the theater, mm-hmm. and that was going to be worth seeing
1: in. The oh theater. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, just to go back to um, all of its Academy Award wins, it won for um, best achievement in film editing, and that's uh, Margaret Sixel, who is married to George Martin. And uh, I remember George him, Martin. George Martin. Oh my God! I George am, Miller. I am all over the place right now in my brain. Oh, that, well, John, I,
0: you haven't been. Full disclosure: John has not has been a bit under the weather. So. This is true.
1: It's- this is true. Let's give him a break. George Miller. I yeah, I'm I'm getting over a cold, plus I haven't slept in like a week because of my yeah. out of whack uh, toddler's sleep schedule going crazy. George Miller. So sorry about that. Babe pig in the city fans. She doesn't know
0: what, t- you know, she's she's on Hawaii time. She spent a week with her crazy cousin. Yeah. <laughs> my daughter. So,
1: uh Margaret Sixel, who's George Miller's wife. I I read that he wanted her especially to edit it because he didn't want a male editor to edit it because then it would just look and feel like every other action movie out there. And clearly that decision was a wise one. Um, best achievement in costume design. And that's Jenny Bevan, who I remember reading a lot about because I, so I am vegan and I've, hear a lot about vegan news and she is vegan and to the Oscars she wore a vegan leather jacket with the it, it almost looks bedazzled but uh, she is a costume designer yeah. so uh, I'd say it's more professionally done than, than being bedazzled but the like a Morton Joe symbol on the back and uh, it was this big thing that she wore this vegan leather jacket and uh, it makes me wonder how much of the costumes are animal and cruelty free on the, on the Mad Max set. Hard to say.
0: Well, I mean, well, you have to wonder though, where would they Where in this post-apocalyptic wasteland? Would you be getting clothing from? I would imagine most of it would be metal.
1: Yeah. Well, really, I, what would I also have survived the apocalypse. I also did read that the costume designer for road warrior was inspired by an S&M shop that was near her home. So, uh, I'm sure there was a lot of leather in that one. So um, always be open
0: to inspiration; it can come from anywhere.
1: So this, it also won for makeup and hairstyling, for sound mixing, sound editing, production design. Um, As we mentioned, it lost for best picture uh, to Revenant. Um, It was nominated. George Miller was nominated for directing. uh, Cinematography. John Seale was nominated. And it was nominated for visual effects. Uh, and I'd say extremely rightfully so, although I feel like it should have won only because allegedly, according to George Miller, 90% of it was practical effects. and you watch videos online about like the making of that movie and you see the stuff that they that they're doing. Oh yeah. And it's just what
0: what beat that for best visual effects.
1: Um, that's a good question. I will look that up right now. Uh, let's see. 2016 Academy award winners. Um, so let's see. Uh, best director was for the Revenant. Um, Cinematography, the revenant, visual effects, ex Mahina. Was that visual effects that I said?
0: Oh, I, I believe so. Yeah,
1: visual effects, ex mahina, which Oh okay. I mean a strong contender. I don't know if I would have gone that way necessarily, but I, I mean clearly I'm a huge Mad Max Fury Road fan, so
0: But then I but then I think your 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 visual effects in a movie like Fury Road are really created more so by the editor by um i think more by your editors than you don't have a visual effects team per se. i mean i know they had a visual effects team oh yeah but but i i feel like it you know it's not like you're you know entirely creating something using a computer i don't know I, I think that most of it was, it's a um, very backhanded compliment. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think that most of it was altering. Uh, I think that some of the shots showing like the sky at nighttime were digitally done. Uh, also Charlize Theron's, uh, arm.
0: Oh yeah. That's
1: all done digitally. And, um, there's a, a very memorable shot of a, a car kind of, Blowing up in a steering wheel with the Immortan Joe symbol flying towards these the screen, which I'm sure in 3D was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, this must have been insane in 3D. And by the way, can we talk about Charlize Theron for a moment? Because uh, is there I, anything? Is she, just she's to, like the new Meryl Streep? Like, she's incredible. She can't do.
1: There's nothing she can't do. She's incredible. I mean, what?
0: It, I mean, like, I mean, and going back to, it, it, I don't know if most people realize that Charlize Theron has been you know, a, a big name in movies for over 20 years. Well,
1: she co-starred alongside our boy Keanu Reeves in The Devil's Advocate. Yeah,
0: Devil's Advocate, you know, and Al Pacino.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Come on, Devil's yeah. Advocate. She was probably um, third on she, the uh, call sheet. Yeah, she did Mighty Joe Young. She, I never saw it, but <laughs> sure. Mighty yeah. Joe Young with Bill Paxton. She was in That Thing You Do. She was, she was in that thing you do. But then like, did you see, you ever see monster where she plays Eileen Warnos, the serial Uh, killer? Mm
1: -hmm. My
0: God, she's amazing. She's amazing in that and in North country.
1: I didn't see North country.
0: North country, you know, and it was not the type of thing where I was like, Oh yeah, no, I'm totally jazzed to watch North country. She was also
1: great recently
0: in the long shot. Oh yeah. But that's what I'm saying. And so, and you know, she popped up. She was in Fast and the Furious.
1: Oh yeah, eight, uh, I forgot think. about that.
0: <laughs> but like, so I I just I love the versatility. She is such a badass, and is she's so funny though. You mentioned The Long Shot, such a funny movie. Yeah, and she clicks so great, and she just seems like yeah. I don't know I have a lot of respect, a lot of respect for Charlize. Well, and then
1: she was also in like Atomic Blonde, which if you look at the movies that we're talking about right now, I mean, it's clear that she can do yeah. action. Uh, and
0: she likes it. She respects it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, you know, we could probably talk for a few more hours just about Fury Road. Um,
0: but, but it, damn, like the message, the so the message in it just go, it goes to show mm-hmm. Mad Max definitely has a place in our current, in our landscape, in our cultural landscape. Yeah. Um, Fury Road more than showed that, and I know that uh, George Miller has been working on developing um, two. I want to say that they're actually prequels to Fury Road, one focusing on Max and one focusing on Furiosa. Right.
1: Well, so and I, I believe that Tom Hardy signed a three-picture
0: deal. Yes. And I don't
1: know if that was before Fury Road, like including Fury Road, or
0: after. Including Fury. Including Road, Fury Road. If, if I. And, and uh, I feel
1: like based on the reaction to the, that movie, uh, nobody is upset about this. (laughs) You know, it's just like, uh,
0: well, I remember initially Tom Hardy regretted signing a three picture deal after filming the movie, but then he saw the movie and as soon as he saw it, he was like, when do we start?
1: Right. Well, uh, I think it was at con when it, maybe a premiered icon and he was like, I have to apologize to George Miller because I didn't understand what he was going for. And I was really pissy on set and didn't get it. But, and Charlize Theron, I, I think also was on record saying that she wasn't sure, quite sure what he was going for, but then saw <laughs> the movie and was like, okay, yes, absolutely. Yes.
0: Really a masterpiece. I would say the, the best of the, uh, the franchise and the st- standard bearer.
1: Well, I think that that's, e- that's an easy call considering, uh, you know, we weren't, we didn't grow up as much on the originals. I had seen the first one and maybe Beyond Thunderdome on TV or something, but they weren't really part of our lives growing no. up. Um, no. And Fury Road is kind of like the entry into that world and then can go back and be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now I get now,
0: it. Now, now, to contrast that, our next, our, our for our next episode, we're going to be focusing on a movie that was very much a part of our childhoods.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that soon. But before we get oh, before so, we I, before we do that, uh,
0: I thought you were giving me like the go home. No, cue and,
1: no, no, yeah. no. Uh, Run home, Jack. No. Uh, what I want to know is. Okay, we know that there's going to be prequels. Uh, what would you want to see? Oh, our in this ideas. World? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my God. You know, I, it's. I feel so. It's kind of like there's certain films that like you just they belong to a certain filmmaker. So for me, imagining a Mad Max, you know, outside of George Miller's head is is a little challenging but i know that they were developing a television series at at one point and then Mm -hmm. it it fell through but i think that maybe doing and i'm not i'm not thinking like a weekly television series but i'm thinking like an anthology series almost like a you could do it like a um like a fargo Uh Where maybe it's set in this uh, post apocalyptic world. You could spin off Westworld. You could do, like, you know, (laughs) I wonder if you could. I mean,
1: Wasteland. You know, I think
0: I. Well, you could do, you know, this kind of like a Westworld. Well, like, there was a Westworld spinoff called Future World. It was a sequel to the, the original movie Westworld called Future World. So if HBO were looking to spin off Westworld. I could easily imagine them doing like a post-apocalyptic version of it, where it's like, hey, you know, you're get, you're gonna get to live in the wasteland for a week, and yeah. um, just kind of show different people's experiences of that. You could have a series where it's because Max is kind of this reluctant hero who's really just like his goal is survival, and along the way, if he can help, if 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 he ends up in the position. He'll help other people out. He's like a one-man A-team yeah. in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. So maybe you just have him doing doing that. I think an anime series. Oh. I think maybe partially... I, I, I might have been partially inspired by the news this week of Kevin Smith's He-Man's He-Man oh, Revelations. Yeah. We didn't
1: talk about that.
0: Of course. No, that's why I threw it in. Yeah. Um I was like, oh, forgot that there. But... But um, you know, and which which promises to tie back to storylines from the original animated series. I am excited about that. Right. But I think like if you were to do a like a dark like anime series, whether it's a series of, of features or um you know a, a series of you know forty five, you know, to sixty minute episodes, I think it, I think it could be really interesting. I think you know, especially compared to when George Miller was originally developing a Mad Max television series, mm-hmm. the the rules have changed. Television has yeah. changed, and you could you could really you could make it. Um, and honestly, I would go more of like the noir. I would go almost more in the style of the Mel Gibson Mad Max movies, uh-huh. and leave. That Fury Road style for the for the big screen, yeah. But like an like an anime, like a cool anime version of Mad Max mm-hmm. in serial format, not yeah. breakfast cereal.
1: Okay, so uh, I think that's. I mean, that's the way I would go to. Um, what
0: do you? Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: I've got a couple things. One of them is more of a side story, but the the main thing is uh I'd love to see a Thunderdome series. You mm. know, it's like this Thunderdome exists. It's not like Max and Master Blaster were the only ones to ever go in there. So it'd be it'd be fun to kind of be in that world. I it could be animated. That would be a lot of fun, but it doesn't oh necessarily God. need to be
0: what if you made it kind of like an what if you did it like an American gladiators or you did like sure. a competition show and it's a and and but it's like it's, you know cos cosplayers and I, I know um in your interview with, with Faye uh that you know cosplay comes into it, but imagine if you set up a Thunderdome where you have, you know, and I mean I guess they wouldn't fight to the death, then it's the running man. Um but Thunder not or you could just go back and watch all the great war games matches from yeah, WCW right. and NWA.
1: Yeah. So um my the other thing I wanted to talk about is how in uh when I was in college, I uh, I lived with this guy, great guy named Chris Hale. Dan, you know Chris Hale. Uh Chris currently, I believe, uh actually is in the um I I don't know exactly what the terminology would be, but uh, independent wrestling world. I don't know what the proper moniker is.
0: That's independent wrestling scene, the indie circuit. Sure.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like non-professional professional professional wrestling. So it's very sensational. And he has a character that is, uh, I don't know if he actually wrestles or if he is just a character in this world, but, uh, yeah, go ahead and look it up. And, uh, What's his character? I, f- I forget what the name is, but if you just look up Chris Hale, uh, wrestling, I'm sure you can find it. So he and I were writing some, uh, sketches at one point and we had this storyline for this team of post apocalyptic doctors called the Thunder Docs and it took place in the <laughs> Mad Max world and it was you know like everyone's wearing leather and it's in the sandy dunes somewhere and some like maybe they go village to village and uh what's interesting <laughs> is that in be in um sorry Fury Road there is a doctor who um is part of the world so when i saw it i was like oh my god it's a thunder doc uh but the i just dock. i would love to see thunder Docks. i'd love to see the um the world of, of uh, medicine in post-apocalyptic wasteland. So that's that. Were you able to find anything?
0: Um, n- no. All no right. Well, if I can find something, up, I'll
1: include a link in the episode description, but, uh,
0: looking up somebody in wrestling by their real name is, <laughs> is sometimes very challenging.
1: I know I'll be able to find it, uh, but I'll, I'll put a link to some of his stuff in the episode description. Um, Anyway, one more
0: thing I have to say I love about Fury Road is that in their pursuit of Furiosa, Immortan Joe's caravan has a like awesome guitar player, like phantom giant guitar player in front of this wall of speakers. I was actually kind of wondering if we
1: were going to be the first podcast to talk about Fury Road that didn't mention him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm sorry, I couldn't let it go because every time I I watch the movie, I forget that it's coming, and then I see it, and I'm just like, that, that's amazing. It's
1: that's so awesome. cool.
0: Yeah, it's so, just yeah, this caravan anyway. with
1: like all these people drumming, and then this guy with a flame throwing guitar. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of like if Slash became like a, a mutant, like an X Man. like that would be him.
1: It's incredible. Um, so. Dan, why don't you talk about what we're going to be doing on the next episode and then I'll uh, lead us into our interview with Faye.
0: Great, John. So for our next episode, this one, if you want to do, you might need to do some research on, on this one and check it out if you have about 80 minutes to spare and won't miss that those 80 minutes. Um, Transylvania 65,000 from 1985. Um, kind of a cult. Classic, uh, starring Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, Ed Bagley Jr., Norman Fell, Carol Kane. Um,
1: it's it might
0: be a little hard to find.
1: Uh, you can find it on iTunes, I believe. Okay. If you're looking, oh, you know. no. um, it okay. is yeah, it's completely bonkers. Uh, we'll have plenty to say about it on the next episode. Uh, we
0: watched it many, many times growing up.
1: Yeah, uh, I'd say that would be, that would have been a contender to be stuck in the first VCR if you are uh, <laughs> if you are familiar with some of our past episodes. If you've been listening for a while, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, uh,
0: it could have been Transylvania Six Five Thousand.
1: Easily could so. have been. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited about that one. And uh, please keep on listening. Uh, you're about to what you're about to hear is an interview I did with Faye Merman. Uh, Faye. Is uh, well, has directed this documentary called Humongous, and uh, we're gonna put a link to that in the episode description. Humongous, uh, as Faye will describe in further detail, it focuses a lot on Mad Max extreme fandom and cosplay, focusing specifically on uh, this guy named Jim Tank in quotes Dorsey, Mm -hmm. who portrays uh, the Lord Humongous. In the world of uh, Mad Max fandom, and, yeah, and
0: kind of a, a celebrity in that world.
1: Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening to the episode. Uh, good journey, Dan, and um, yeah, this is this is good our journey. interview. With, this is our interview with Faye. Enjoy. So, Faye, tell me how you got yourself mixed up in the world of Mad Max.
2: One day. It was totally unplanned or unexpected. Um, I was doing a story for the station I worked for in Manhattan, and they sent me to a media day for a convention on Long Island, and I met a man dressed as the Lord Humongous from Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. I did not know who he was dressed up as. I didn't know the character's name. I said, I think my opening question to him on camera was, who the hell are you and why are you naked? (laughs) And he explained who he was, and
1: why he was naked.
2: Why he was naked. And I just found this particular person incredibly fascinating. And what I thought would be a three-minute video for my station turned into a two-and-a-half-year project around the world in my first feature film.
1: Which is so cool. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about the character that he is uh, portraying, why he is portraying that character, How? who he is Sure. Give me some information.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to need a lot of information. Otherwise, this is going to make no sense. Right. So um, his name is Jim Dorsey. Everybody calls him Tank. Uh, The tagline of the film is, by day, he's Jim the pool guy. By night, he's Lord of the Wasteland. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So uh, Tank is a part of just a hardcore group of Mad Max fans. And Tank is 47. When he was 40, he decided to turn himself into a bodybuilder just so he could cosplay Shell Nelson's character, Lord Humongous, from Mad Max 2.
1: So he was just a diehard Mad Max yes. Road Warrior fan.
2: Yes. So uh, Tank got exposed to the Road Warrior kind of briefly when it came out. He had strict parents. He wasn't really allowed to see it, but he knew that it was his favorite movie before he ever saw it. And he knew that that's the world that he always wanted to live in. And when he was finally allowed to see it, his little tank mind was blown, and he just... He just snowballed into this extreme fandom for the rest of his life. Wow. Uh, and he, uh, became a cosplayer. He we always liked to make costumes and he became a cosplayer later in life. And he was at this post-apocalyptic festival, uh, in California called Wasteland weekend, which is incredible. And one year the, uh, one of his friends said, Hey, next year you should come back as Lord Humongous. You're the only guy that could pull it off. He was beefy. You know, he was built, but not like toned like a Mm -hmm. Shel Nilsson, for those that don't know, was a Swedish bodybuilder when he played uh, the Lord Humongous. So he was ripped. And within one year, uh, Tank's going to hear this and get mad at me for getting the numbers wrong, but he was way up there in the 200s, and then he dropped down to like 205 pounds and became this like ripped, lean, mean fighting machine, shaved his entire body, just and made a surprise appearance at Wasteland Weekend of 2011, and he's just been a cult hero ever since. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: So... Before this, what was your knowledge of like the Mad Max universe?
2: Super limited, basically Thunderdome, Mm -hmm. a little bit of just muscle cars. Um, I had a very narrow minded view of Mad Max. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd seen a couple of them. Enough things stood out to me culturally. I think I just caught them on television here and there, just glimpses of them. Like, um, Kundalini's character from Mad Max one stuck out Mm -hmm. to me. The, the character with the red heart glasses and the red leather suit, um, Fifi the boss with the shaved head stuck out to me. So different characters always stuck out to me. But the thing that turned me off from Mad Max, and this is something I've actually been able to talk to with all the actors from Mad Max 1 and 2 at this point, is that the version we saw in the United States was dubbed. And it was poorly dubbed. And for the longest time, I didn't think I liked Mad Max because I didn't think I was smart enough to understand it. But it just turns out I couldn't hear it.
1: It was dubbed just because of
2: accents? The studios were convinced that Americans couldn't understand the Australian accents. So <laughs> it was poorly, poorly dubbed. And that was the version that most Americans had access to for the huh. longest time. And for some reason, it just couldn't click in my brain. I couldn't hear it. I hated right. it. Um, then I saw... Uh, with Actually, once I started the movie, I watched Mad Max 1, and I loved it. Yeah. And of course, I've seen The Road Warrior 9,000 times. And I can tell you... Anything you want to know about that movie, (laughs) anything.
1: So uh, you went from someone who had very limited knowledge of these movies in the first place to somebody who as it's become such a big part of your life. You know, this is your first feature film. It's based on not the movies per se, but- the love of the, the movies, the love of the movies, and mm-hmm. the fandom, which mm-hmm. is a really interesting angle. Yeah, uh, what has that journey been like for you?
2: Without a doubt, it's completely changed my life in every aspect you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first met Tank, I thought this would be a three-minute video, and then he called me one day. We started shooting right away. I met him on a Wednesday. We started started shooting on a Saturday, and I knew right then and there he wasn't going to flake out. This is, I felt right away that this documentary was going to click. So many others had fallen by the wayside because people flaked out, you know, and I'm getting, a, you know, I'm giving you a little backstory. Um, and I forget what I was saying. What were we talking about? <laughs> uh,
1: you were talking about how, when you first oh, met, the f- well, how has this been for me? Yeah. How has just
2: changed my life. Right. You still jet lag, by the way, I'm from New York and I'm very, mm-hmm. very tired. Um, so yeah, I just, I didn't know anything about it and I didn't know anything about this kind of fandom and the, the events that go on all around the world. But now, um, I have this total appreciation for fast cars and how to build cars and how to make cars. And I have an appreciation for how to make costumes and, um, and not just make them, but make them well. The people in this film as a sidebar do it so well. They rebuild the vehicles and remake the costumes so well that George Miller has seen photos and thought they were stills from his movies. There's no exaggeration. Um, so I started going to events like Wasteland Weekend, and I've been to Australia a couple of times. And I'm friends with the cast of Mad Max One and Two. Like,
1: uh, that's crazy.
2: Buddies with a lot of them. It's just, it's opened me up to so many new things and so many new experiences. I would say I never would say I was timid, but God, if I'm not the most outrageously outgoing human being at this point, <laughs> you know, give me like a muscle car you in have the desert. To be. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, and now you yourself have then begun to participate yeah. alongside Tank yeah. and his crew. So it's, so you're just kind of starting to say that it's really brought you out of your shell, whatever yeah. shell you had, you're now completely out of it. So how has that been? And how has that transformed your life outside of Mad Max?
2: Yeah, you know, I didn't think I had a shell. I really didn't, but apparently I did. It was a mm-hmm. thin one, but now that I'm out of it, like life is great. Everything just feels like it's at your fingertips. Something about living in a post apocalyptic world, even just for a little bit makes you feel so bold and just carefree. And it makes you feel like, oh, whatever, I can do anything. I can do this. I can do that. I survived you know, a week in the desert in leather jackets. I can do mm-hmm. this. It's fine. So it's changed my life in ways. I would say almost immediately when I first started filming these events, I wished that I wasn't filming them at all because I really wanted to participate in them. Of course, obviously I filmed everything. There's so many visual things going on, just scantily clad men and women and fast cars and just beautiful landscapes. And it's, it's breathtaking. And I'm talking about the Mojave desert and the Australian outback and, um, even crazy conventions like dragon con in Atlanta where like world-class costume makers go and just party for five days. It's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. It made me appreciate cosplay, which I never appreciated before because I thought, I had a very limited exposure and understanding of that. I, you know, you kind of clump it in with mostly anime stuff and sure, but you, when you put your heart and soul into it, you can recreate something and relive something. And all these people have become my friends. And now I do participate in these things. My friend, Max in Detroit builds all of our Mad Max cars and we flew out to Detroit last January. We obviously we interviewed him a little bit, but then we just hung out. We played Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> he taught me how to play Dungeons oh, and Dragons. Fun. Yeah. And I actually love it.
1: So, do you feel like by becoming kind of one of them, it helped, uh, I guess, break down barriers as a filmmaker and, and with these people as, as the subjects, or did that not really come into play at all?
2: I don't think it really had to come into play. They really welcomed me f- with mm-hmm. open arms from the very beginning. They gave me a, a nickname, my first wasteland, which is a big deal. And I th- it's, it's an honor, you know, mm-hmm. it must mean they like you, um, I was never really treated like an outsider by any of them. And then when they saw that I kept coming back and I really wasn't bringing all my camera gear, you know, they they knew that I was just in it. I have people in this community that that they call me their sister, you know, Uh and I would absolutely call them my brother. And we know that we can lean on each other, even though we live all over the world. We live in Japan, Australia, Detroit, you know, the East Coast, West Coast. We live all over the world, but we know that we can call on each other. And gaining that kind of global friendship has been really just mind expanding and really heartwarming.
1: And are you able to tell us what the nickname is that they gave you?
2: Sure. (laughs) Uh, it's dust because my first wasteland weekend, a tremendously terrible, uh, sandstorm blew through and I filmed in it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I mean, I wasn't being totally an idiot, but I was kind of being an idiot because you know, your camera in a sandstorm and my camera kind of jammed up with sand and stopped working. And it's kind of a funny story because well, Wasteland Weekend is fully immersive and you have to dress up and look the part. Even the media, we have to all look like we lived through nuclear warfare and now we're the last human beings on earth in the middle <laughs> of the desert. It's fully immersive, it's fully themed. You don't once you pay for your ticket and unless you want to buy merchandise from the merch stand, you don't pay for money for anything, you pay in bottle caps or you barter. People bring things that they make, jewelry, clothing, um it's a really immersive and really just believable world. And um, my camera stopped working and I was brand new to this whole community and I was basically on the verge of tears. And I ran over to my friend Max who – and he's like, he's trying to help me because he he's pretty good with that stuff. And he's like, oh, you know, go to the – there's a, a command center, like a, like a radio control room. Mm-hmm. Like, of course there like, is. Go find a man called the Swede and the Swede's going to help you. And I walk I walk through the town in Wasteland City and I open these curtains and I'm in this really weird place and I'm like, you know, looking for the Swede. I'm like, oh, that's behind the Swede. And he took apart my camera, put it back together and fixed it. And that's when my, f- my friend Max called me Dust Eye.
1: Nice. Did Max get into it because his name is Max?
2: No, that's Max. <laughs> Max's name is Dave. <laughs> <laughs> that's how the Mad Max Max is.
1: <laughs> uh, How many people would you say are you know, attend the, the wasteland weekend. Wasteland
2: weekend has 4,000 attendees oh, and whoa. they've capped it at 4,000. Um, they don't want it to get any bigger. I, That's huge. yeah, it is gigantic, but you know what? It feels like the smallest little gathering. It feels yeah. so intimate. There's nothing, there's like no throngs of humanity. Everybody's just, it's, Almost a utopia. I'm sure some mm-hmm. people have had maybe some different experiences, but for me, it's almost a utopia. Everybody's there to help you and be your friend. One guy last year watched me get burned. I hopped out of a one of our trucks, and all of the trucks have piping hot exposed exhaust exhaust right. pipes coming out of everywhere because they're insane apocalypse cars. And I reached into the flatbed to grab something, and my elbow touched a, a exhaust pipe, and I shouted, and like the flesh melted off my arm. And this guy in the shade across the way said... Hey, you get burned. Come on over here. You know, I got burn cream and I came over and he gave me burn cream and I was like, Hey, I got a fridge in the fridge, a beer in the fridge in the RV. He's like, well, I don't drink. Thank you. And I said, well, I've got a banana. You want a banana? He's like, yeah, I'll take a banana. <laughs> so we swapped burn cream for a banana. And that's, nice. that to me is, I think the fundamental thing about Wasteland Weekend. Everybody's just out there to, it's the end of the world and we're all just being good to each other.
1: Yeah. And potassium efficient. It's
2: very, <laughs> so, uh,
1: I'm trying to decide if I want to ask you, okay, I'm going to ask you first about the documentary a little bit more. So what got you to actually decide I'm going to go ahead and I'm really just going to go for it and make this documentary? Like Mm. how did that happen?
2: Yeah. So, um, oh, that's, I think I was kind of saying this before and then my, my mind (laughs) switched tracks, shocker, um. Tank and I met on a Wednesday. I started filming on a Saturday, and then we made plans the next weekend for me to come up. I lived in Queens. He lived in, lives in northern New Jersey, and it's like an hour and a half. And in, in New York, as a, especially as a journalist, but I'm going to go ahead and say probably almost any career, you don't really get many days off. I, got, I maybe had one day off a week from my newsroom, and I was spending that one day a week driving an hour and a half up to Tank's filming all day, driving back an hour and a half, and then waking up and working six days in a row where I drive and film and drive and film. And one day Tank calls me very quickly after meeting him, maybe within a week. He said, by the way, I know you said you only want to come up for a weekend, but here's what I do all year long. Um, He said, do you want to come to Australia with me? And Without even knowing anything else about it, I said, hell yeah, I want to come yeah, to right? Australia with you. He's like, oh, and we do this event called Wasteland Weekend, and I go to this big event in, in Atlanta called Dragon Con, and I do all this other really – you know he didn't say this was interesting, but it sounded really visually interesting. I do all this stuff around the country and around the world all year long. And I thought, okay, well, let's start shooting. Let's see if this is really going to play out. Let's see how I do. And within – let's see, we, we started filming in June, and by – Labor Day, I had quit my job in Manhattan and had had the luxury of being able to move back home temporarily. Right. Um, I'm really lucky in that regard. And uh, just move back home and make this movie because there was no possible way. One, the footage is already starting to suffer for me being exhausted, you know, coming up there one day a week and being right. wiped out. Two, there's no way you're ever going to get, I think I needed like eight weeks off total for the year to, mm-hmm. to, there's no way and then there's no way i can fly to australia paying queen's rent there's just no way so it all made sense to quit my job that i wasn't very happy with right um uh, move home and i had a two-year plan i said i would be home for two years make the movie for two years and then get back to new york and it took me two and a half years but that's what happened wow. but i think i stayed pretty close to schedule
1: yeah. And then you did a, some sort of crowdfunding to, to raise we did money for some, it.
2: some, some very humble crowdfunding because good Lord, I'd, I, I could have, I shouldn't have asked for, you know, quadruple what I asked mm-hmm. for. We asked for a very, very, very small amount thinking that just not being a presumptuous that people want to give their hard earned money away to us, especially for a project they really hadn't. It was just on spec at this yeah. point. Um, but we raised, I think we asked for 3000, which I think was pretty much just going to cover the new microphones I had to buy. Yeah. And we raised six thousand. Oh, that's great! And then we did a second fundraiser, which I think we raised another thousand for, just to get us to Australia, because we premiered a part of the film in Australia this past February, mm. in the same theater that premiered Mad Max: To the Road Warrior. Whoa,
1: that's special. It
2: was really special. It was sp- by that point I'd, I'd be I'm now a fan of Mad Max, so it was special for me. But it was more special for me because I know how special it was for Tank mm-hmm. and all of Tank's all, all of our friends, like Max and everybody, to know that a movie about. Dave. sorry sorry max (laughs) sorry max little maxaroni um i know how special it was for them to have a movie about their mad max fandom premiere on that screen yeah that is
1: that's huge Mm -hmm. that's the dream yeah it really really is (laughs) so uh as this podcast is uh about movie sequels prequels remakes reboots we got to talk a little bit about fury road Mm -hmm. How does the like the the diehard Mad Max community feel about that movie? That um, I mean, for me, I think it's one of the best movies of the past, you know, fifteen years maybe. But for people who live in that world, what's it like for them?
2: Obsessed.
1: Good. That makes me really happy because it's so fantastic. And I, you know, you want a movie that's that good, just in general to be accepted by the people who care so deeply for that universe. And, you know, this, this podcast is is called ruined childhoods because, you know, the joke is that people always say like, Oh Oh, no, my childhood is ruined. Boo. And I feel like there was a lot of that when it was announced that there was going to be another Mad Max movie. Mm. And, um, and, and, it, it, I don't know, warms my heart that people embrace it in that community.
2: Well, you know, George Miller is a master at what he does. now. But, he, but what I like about it the most is that he was not, when he started out, he was a dentist. Oh, yeah? Dr. Miller. And he um, just made this just kind of for fun just to see if he could. He had no budget. They didn't know what they were doing. They ran out of money. He cut it together himself at his kitchen table. Mm. Mad Max 1 is the most homegrown movie of all time, and it's beloved, and it's iconic, and it makes you feel like... Any, that's I think that should be something that every filmmaker should hold on to, thinking about that.
1: Yeah. The first Mad Max movie, it's definitely... You know, it's not polished. No. Uh, it's It feels like a labor of love. Yes. And it's... You know, by today's standards, people would, could see it and think like... It's slow and there's, you know, kind of confused and whatever. But like what that kind of started, you know, it's really something special.
2: Well, when they when George Miller and Byron Kennedy came around for The Road Warrior, I think they had their shit figured out. And then Mm -hmm. it kind of got taken away in Thunderdome. It's not that it wasn't a good movie. It's just that, well, Byron Kennedy. Tragically passed away. It was George Miller's uh, hmm. production partner. He passed away in a helicopter accident location scouting. Oh, really? Oof. Um And actually, Thunderdome was supposed to be... I told you I could tell you anything. <laughs> Thunderdome was supposed to be Lord of the Flies. Really? That's why all the kids are in it.
1: No way. Mm-hmm.
2: And then Byron Kennedy passed away, and George Miller just, you know, just, he got obviously just devastated and heartbroken, and the project kind of slipped through his fingers a little bit, and it kind of got Americanized and... Um, George Miller was just very sad during that. And Mm -hmm. you could tell that his heart wasn't in it like it was for, um, for, for, um, Road Warrior. But then he came back all these years later with Fury Road and just blew everybody's minds. Yeah. said, Hey, remember me? Like, look look what I can do. You know, I know I did Babe 2, Pig in the City or whatever. Right. (laughs)
1: Uh, so before we wrap up, um, Where can people find out what's going on with the latest news with the doc?
2: Sure. So we have a website, humongousdoc.com, but it's spelled like the character's name. So it's H-U-M-U-N-G-U-S-D-O-C.com. You can check us out also on Facebook, facebook.com slash doc.
1: Cool. And we'll put links to those in the episode's description. Faye, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.